once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. We want to welcome those of you watching online, those of you at our Hazlitt campus, those of you at our McKinney campus, and those of you here at our Keller campus, out at our video venue. Would you join me in welcoming all these people joining us? So glad to have all of you with us as we finish up this series. I want to celebrate with you, those of you who've been on this journey, maybe some of you for the very first time participated with one of the guides and you went through the guide, you read it in the morning, or, or maybe you went in a small group for the very first time, or maybe you led a small group. However you got there and wherever you were engaged in the journey, we're so glad that you went. And our prayer is that you would know God more, you would trust his promises, and you would understand this love, this incredible love that he has for you. Maybe you're just joining us for this first weekend and you're like, I don't know what you've been talking about, and that's okay too. We've been in this series called Promises, and, and here's the concept. This God that we serve, this God that we follow, he loves us, and he makes promises to us. Now, you might hear that and think, well, what does that mean? Is that like we can ask him for stuff, like, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, okay, if you had three wishes, what would you wish for? We all know as a kid, there's only one right answer for the first wish, three more wishes, right? Like you gotta start with getting more wishes. And I think we sometimes think that way with God because we're worried that he's holding out on us or that he might not hear us or that he might not wanna do something for us. But in this series, we've learned that all throughout God's word, he makes these incredible promises to you and I. Promises that change our lives, that change the directory of our lives, that change our family. And he makes these promises not because we're faithful, not because we're good, but because he is. This Bible concept for a promise is a covenant, and a covenant is a significant agreement between two parties. And in that party, one is the stronger party who says, I'm gonna do this for you, and this is the God that we serve. So hopefully along the way, you've been growing in that, and as we finish this last week, we're gonna look at one more of these big promises that God gives us. If you have your Bible, or if you'd like to know where we're gonna go, in just a moment, we're gonna to go to John 16, verse 20. But on our way to John 16, 20, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a sneak preview, a little spoiler, if you will. I'm gonna read a verse from the end of that passage, and I'm gonna help us think about what Jesus is saying on this historic night and how it affects you and me. Because we are finishing the series, and so one of the promises that God gives us this week, we find here John 16, 33. Look at what he says. It's a promise, I warn you, no one wants. In this world, you will have trouble. Okay, surprise. We waited till week six to give you that one. Um, no, I never met anybody who walked around, you know, Jed, I'm just claiming God's promises. Which one? Then I'm gonna have trouble. I've never met anyone who did that, but it's right there. He promised us that we would have trouble, that we would have pain, that we would have challenges, but that's not all he promised. Look what he goes on to say, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Two things can be true at the same time. We can have pain, we can have challenges, we can have promises, and we could still have a Jesus who's present with us to help us overcome everything we face. This is hard for us. Let's be honest, we don't do well with pain. Pain's such a big part of our lives. There's no one this weekend who, who will hear me talk who can't relate to pain. You're, you're either in pain or you've been in pain or you will be in pain. It's something we all deal with. And the truth is we don't know how to manage it. We don't know how to process it. A lot of times we don't even know how to talk about pain. We don't know how to talk about other people's pain. If I said, 
Tell me about your pain. We can't quantify it. Some of the things that are most important to us in life, things like pain, things like love, we can't quantify them. We can't prove them, but they're so important in our lives. And let's be honest, we we love them and they're well-meaning, but doctors and dentists and chiropractors, they don't always help us with pain. You ever been to a dentist or a doctor or a chiropractor? They're like, you might feel some mild discomfort. Your dentist will tell you, you may feel a little mild pressure. Well, if the mild pressure is that shot you're about to put in my gums, I call that pain, right? Like, you ever had a chiropractor go, just relax, crack, you know, it's like, what just happened? You're supposed to be helping, right? You ever been this one, you go to the doctor's office? This is not a fun question. How would you rate your pain? Oh, man. I don't know, what, what do you say? Uh, I'm not gonna say three or four, even if it is a three or four, because you're busy, you're gonna leave, I won't see you for a couple hours. I gotta boost it up, but, but I can't go too high. I can't be like 10, I'm afraid if I go 10, the door's gonna open, and there's a mom there going, how dare you said 10, right? It's like, because they know 10. <laughs> or at least we think it was a 10, right? Like, And so what we're doing is we're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with this pain? How do I manage this pain? How do I talk about this pain? We don't know, but it's such a present reality in all our lives. So what do most people do in our pain? What do we need to know? Well, if you're anything like me, when you're in pain, one of the first things, I don't know why, I'm an emotional person, I'm also a rational person, kind of at the same time. And so when I'm in pain, one of the first things I think is maybe one of the things you think. Why is this happening? Why? Who did this? What did I do? What's what's God up to? Why is this pain? Why did this pain come to me? As if somehow, if we knew why it came, it would take the pain away. It doesn't. Why does it take the pain away? It's why we can't argue anyone else or even ourselves out of pain. Pain is visceral. It's something that you experience. It's bigger than why. You know, in the Bible, in the book of Job, Job's friends spend the whole book trying to explain why he shouldn't feel bad, but it does nothing to take away his pain. Second thing that a lot of people want to know when we're in pain, what happens next? You know, like I said, our brains are amazing. When, when you are in pain, whether it's emotional or physical, the amazing thing about your brain is if someone you love is in pain, there's this thing called shared trauma. You can actually experience the symptoms of pain that someone you love is going through pain. That's how, how wild it is. And, and so our brain immediately, when we're in pain, we go into this instinct mode where it just starts reacting. And for some of us, you may have heard this before in research and studies, some of us go into flight mode. We try to run away from pain. So maybe we're in grief, maybe we're grieving. And grieving doesn't happen all at once. We try to schedule grieving. We try to move past grieving. You ever talk to someone who's lost a loved one? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. And they're making themselves busy. And you know they're trying to find a way to process that. Some of us try to move on to the next thing. Some of us try to fight and resist the pain. It's fight or flight. Which brings us to the third thing we want to know. Who's going to pay for our pain? Many of us are justice oriented. We want to know whose fault and how do we get back at whoever did this. The problem is, Getting back at someone else doesn't take away our pain. You may not know this, but this weekend at the movie theater, an old friend came back, the Batman. 
You may not know this. The character goes back to 1939. He's 83 years old. There's more fictional stories written about Batman than any other character. If you're unfamiliar, he's a small boy whose parents are murdered. He dresses up as a bat and attacks criminals. In other words, he needs Freedom Weekend. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe Hazlitt McKinney, you would open up for Bruce Wayne in your next Freedom Weekend. But, but somehow, this story resonates with us. I love Batman. I like watching him. I, somehow in my mind, I think, yeah, if the bad guys pa pay, somehow my pain will go away. But it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Final thing we sometimes we want to know is what have others been through? Maybe we've gone through a medical thing, maybe an emotional thing, maybe a family thing. We're looking around. Has anybody else gotten through this? Sometimes we look around going like, why, you know, I love the people in the Bible because they were this way. The disciples were this way. Why do I have to go through this when they don't have to go through it? And, and we want to somehow compare pain as if somehow it's a contest of who could have the most pain. These things all become challenging. You're like, Jed, why are you belaboring the point? Here's why I'm belaboring the point. It's because this promise, this message from Jesus is so clear. He says you're going to have challenges. Anybody who told you that giving your life to Christ or the Christian life it, is, it means the moment you give your life to God that everything goes great and there are no problems and there's no adversity. They're not giving you the message of Jesus. But Jesus says in that challenge, in that pain, in that trial, don't give up, don't lose heart, don't let your heart be troubled because I know that's what your heart wants to do. But hold on to me because I have a way for you through your pain. Now I said a moment ago, we're going back to this one night, this moment in history, John 16 really happened at a real time to real people. If you've been in the guide, we've been studying along this night. It's the same night where Jesus had the, uh, celebrated the Passover, where we, what we would call communion with his disciples. He shared a meal with them. He, he talks with them. He begins to pray with them, encourage them. Then he goes to a garden to pray. I've actually been to this garden, this incredible garden. He asks, Garden of Gethsemane. He asks his disciples to pray with them. They fall asleep. Somewhere along the time while he's praying, the Bible says that he's so much pressure and pain has hit him that he's, he actually sweats blood. And as this is happening, there's people coming along the way and there's a crowd and they've got weapons and torches and soldiers. And Jesus says, you always, I didn't hide, you knew where I was. Why are you coming at me like I'm a criminal? And his friends, his closest disciples, they're watching as their friend, their leader, their Messiah, is dragged away to the home of the high priest, Caiaphas. I've actually been to the place where historians think the house was. Under the house is a jail. I took this picture of this jail. I don't know why a high priest would have a jail under his house, but he did, and he's like, this is where we throw blasphemers, and Jesus would be thrown into this hole for the night. His disciples aren't sure what's going on and what's gonna happen, and in the morning when he was brought out of the jail, he's taken out into the public square, he's flogged, and he's beaten so badly that people say, we, we didn't even know if that's a human. Then they take his clothes, make him naked, drag him through the streets, mock him publicly, scorning him, making fun of him, and then they bring him ultimately to a tree the most brutal, the most savage form of death. The word excruciating comes from the Latin of the cross. The most excruciating 
humiliating form of death the world would ever know. No Roman citizen could be crucified and they set him on a busy road while he was still alive, hanging on his tree. As his body is broken, he's humiliated and he begins to speak to his friends and he says things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. He looks at his mom and he says, mom, this is your son as he points to John. And then he looks at John and says, this is your mom. And then on that road, he dies. There's an earthquake, the sky turns red. Imagine being there that day. This isn't a fairy tale, it really happened. Imagine waking up the next morning as a disciple. You've given up everything. You've left your family. You've given up your business to follow him. You had hopes and dreams, and for a while it looked like it would be incredible, and then it's all just over. What do you do in that place? How, how do you face the day? How do you get past the pain that you're feeling, the pain that you've been through? You don't even know how to compartmentalize or what to do with it. How do you get past that? Well, Jesus knew they would face this pain, and so in John 16, 20, Look what he says to them as he's thinking about them and his friends and what they were about to go through. He says this, very truly I tell you, you'll weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Jesus is so smart. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. So hard enough to face pain, but when you face pain while everyone around you is celebrating, it makes it so much more difficult. For years I did campus ministry and one of, the, one of my friends was, um, uh, she was a young lady and she, a phenomenal campus minister and she had been doing campus, she was a few years older than me and been doing campus ministry for a long time and when you work with college students, there's a lot of students who, as you might imagine, end up getting married and so she'd helped a lot of students and, and, and been in a lot of weddings. I was like, how many weddings have you been in? How many times have you been a bridesmaid? She said, 18 times. I said, how do you do that? I know you wanna get married, you wanna have a family? She's like, yeah, there are days where I feel like God's forgotten about me, but I keep trusting his promise. Great end of that story is she ended up finding the, the right person that God had for her as her own family and got through it. She was somehow able to celebrate even in her own pain. You'll grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. What a promise. I love this. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Look at this. So with you. What is Jesus saying? There's purpose in pain. In the same way as a mom endures the pain of birthing for the child on the other side, your pain that you're going through isn't going to be wasted, that God has redemptive potential to take the pain that you don't know why it came or whose fault it is or who needs to pay. If you'll trust Jesus, he'll find a way to redeem that pain. Now is your time of grief. I'll see you again. You'll rejoice. And I love this. No one will take away your joy. In that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you'll receive, love this, your joy will be complete. We skip down, look at now, verse 31. Look at what Jesus asked them. Do you now believe? Here's what he's doing. As we wrap up this Promises series, Jesus is asking this question as an invitation. This is covenant language. 
He's saying, will you enter into a covenant with me? Will you believe me? Will you partner with me? That if you'll agree and put your trust and hope in me, in exchange for your grief, in exchange for your pain, I'll give you my joy that no one can take from you. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you'll be scattered, each to your own home. You'll leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone. I love this. My Father is with me. Out in Hazlitt and McKinney, I want you to think about this. Jesus isn't just explaining to them how he gets through it. He's modeling how we all get through it. And then the verse we started with, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. You say, Jed, if you were to summarize, what are you trying to say? I'd say it this way. I would say, the place to process your pain is in God's presence. The place to process, oh, you're gonna have pain. And oh, that pain needs to be processed. See, whatever pain we don't process, it doesn't go away. It doesn't dissipate on its own. It goes somewhere. Some of us stuff it. Some of us project it onto other ones. We don't even mean to. We, maybe you grew up in a culture where pain was weakness and you weren't allowed to say that you were in pain and everything was suck it up buttercup and be strong and have a tough upper lip and if you're a real man or a real woman of character, you just endure it. I, I, it sounds so noble. The problem is it doesn't work. Your pain's gonna go somewhere. Your pain that you don't process and God's presence is gonna be end up being put on people in your life. It's gonna be baggage, it's gonna be a weight in your soul. This is so hard for us. We have so many wrong reactions to pain. Our, our world doesn't really help us. Our world has all kinds of silly phrases when it comes to pain, things like no pain, no gain. You know, I don't know if you're into exercise or if you do the, uh, for a while I was doing the kind of exercise, it may not look like it, but I was doing the exercise where you flip tires and you got those cords and you do like caveman stuff and on the wall they have all these inspiring things like pain is weakness leaving the body. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> and you think like somehow I'm just gonna overcome this. We, we even write silly songs. You ever heard this one? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson sings, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You're like, we'd like to kill you now that you put that song in our head. I, I repent, I apologize. <laughs> Here's the thing, it doesn't work. Though. What doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger, it just doesn't kill you. Sometimes it annoys you. Sometimes it makes you weaker. Sometimes it makes you mad at the radio. Whatever, that may be my issue. Anyways. We, we're trying to figure out what to do with it. And so I think, I, I thought maybe this would be a helpful illustration. You know, like, you're just trying to stay in the middle with your pain and processing your pain because there are ditches on either side. On one side of the ditch is this idea that we can avoid pain at all costs. Let me tell you, we, we want to mitigate our risk and we want to be risk averse and we want to manage all those things. And I appreciate all that. We should be wise but there's no way to live the Christian life and avoid pain. It's impossible. God asks us to step out and trust him and to do things by faith and to serve and to love. And if you're gonna serve and you're gonna love, you're gonna experience pain. It's just part of the deal. So we can't live a life where our number one directive is, I'm gonna avoid pain, but at the same time, we don't wanna seek it out. We don't wanna chase it down. We don't wanna glorify pain. Pain has no problem finding us. 
I don't recommend trying to glorify it or pursuing it. Even if you think there is purpose in that pain, you don't have to chase it down for God to meet you and to help you in that place. You know, personally in my life, I've, I've thought a lot about this over the last six months. Six months ago, I, uh, you know, I, I'm a young guy in my mind and I've always loved sports. I've never had a significant sporting injury until six months ago and, and I, I love to play basketball. I still play with college guys and so a lot of times on Sunday nights I'll go and play basketball and six months ago I was playing like I normally would and we were in our third game and of course we'd won the first two and it was game point so you know who they were going to and so we were out on the three point line and I made a move that I've made a thousand times, a jab step, first step to go to the bucket, because that only works if you're a three-point threat, and I am one of those. And, <laughs> and as I made my first move, I fell to the ground. And I was like, someone kicked me. And I turned around and there was no one behind me. And I know enough about basketball to know this is the symptom of tearing your Achilles. And tearing your Achilles is the most serious basketball injury there is. Happened to Kobe Bryant, happened to Kevin Durant, it happened to Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson just got back after a two year recovery from an Achilles tear in an ACL. So as soon as it happened, I knew I was in trouble. I also knew well, those guys are my peers, so if they can do it, I can do it. Um, <laughs> it's good to know God loves you. And um, so I started to go to physical therapy. Now, I, I didn't, I'd never been in physical therapy. I didn't know what it was, and, and as you might be able to tell, my wife says I have a little bit of a pride issue, so I went to the physical therapist trying to impress the therapist. And I was like, how far was Kobe at this point? Like, how far was KD at this point? And I was like, I could do stuff. He's like, oh, you could do stuff, huh? It was about two months in. And I go, yeah, I could do stuff. I'm powerful. And he goes, okay, can you do box step ups? I was like, yeah, I could do box step ups. So I was doing box step ups, step up, step down. I was like, all day, step up, step down. About the fourth or fifth one, I stepped up. And then when I stepped down, I thought someone stabbed me in the heel. It hurt worse than the original injury, way, way worse. And I yelled, I said, I, I don't even know if it was a human noise. The whole office just stopped. What happened? My therapist came over, he's like, okay, let's check some things. I was like, I retort, I retort, because here's what happens. It wasn't just the pain, it was the fear that came with the pain. The fear said, this is how it's always gonna be. This is who you are now. There is no getting out of this. I gotta tell you, that, that fear made the pain so much worse because I began to lose hope of if there was anything on the other side. And when pain becomes the most difficult is when it starts to tell us there is no way through, there is no promise that will get you out of this, there is no situation. Now, you didn't tear your Achilles probably, but whatever situation you are in, when the pain comes, in almost every situation the fear comes right behind it. My therapist said, no, no, it's okay. We're gonna get through this. As we keep doing the little things, as we keep showing up, you didn't tear anything, you're fine. This is part of the problem. Part of your healing is bringing your pain to light so that we can actually fix it and work through it. The same way it's true in our physical bodies, it's true in our emotions. There's no way, we tell you all the time, we want you to grow. Our word for the year is engage. There's no way you can grow spiritually if you're not healthy emotionally, and there's no way to be healthy emotionally without taking your pain and bringing it to Jesus. 
was thinking about how I could make this real to you and I was reflecting this week on a moment, a ministry moment maybe 20 years ago that I had with a young man, phenomenal young man who I helped uh, lead him to Christ and nobody in his family was a follower of Christ and he began to just grow and he was a leader and incredible things were happening. He even said, I wanna do ministry myself and so one day we were meeting and he said, Pastor Jed, I need to talk to you about my dad, and I was like, oh, great, let's talk about it, I, I, we'll pray about it. What's your latest interaction with your dad? He's like, I, I've only ever had one interaction with my dad. He said, I was a little boy, and we were in family court, and I watched the lawyer go over to my dad, and he asked my dad, do you want to speak to your son? And I watched as my dad told the lawyer, no. This young man looked at me and he said, why wouldn't my dad want to talk to me? Why wouldn't my dad acknowledge me? What's, what's wrong with me? I said to him, I said, I, I don't have answers for why your dad did what he did, but I can tell you this, that may be how your earthly father treated you, but there's a heavenly father who loves you, who wants to be with you, who's so proud of you, and he's so good and so trustworthy and I love you and I would be proud to call you my son. You don't have to carry that pain any longer. I looked him in his eyes and I told him, thank you so much for being courageous enough to tell me the truth. You've carried that pain for too long. I can't even imagine what it must have been like. I have my own pain but I don't have your pain but thank you for bringing that pain to the light because I believe there's a Jesus who loves you, who can change. In this moment, he is changing you. Your life's gonna be different. Your son's lives are gonna be different. Your grandchildren's lives are gonna become different because you were willing to take the pain that could have wrecked everything and bring it to Jesus and allow his healing power to make you new. I don't know what your pain is, but the same Jesus who was there in that moment who changed that young man's life, and as you can tell, that interaction changed my life forever, he can change yours too. Whatever pain, I don't know what it is, if it's emotional or physical or relational, when we bring it to Jesus, he can make us new. Before I pray for you, I wanna make this practical. What happens? What does God promise us for our pain? Number one, he promises to be with us. He takes the pain we bring to him. Now it would be easy sometimes, I would imagine, to feel like, oh, well, you know, God's got so many other things in the world and my pain's not really that big of a deal. God's never mad, he's never upset with you. There's not a single thing that you've experienced where he's like, don't bring that to me, I'm too busy. You're like, Jed, how do you know that's true? Well, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, I don't know if those of you watching online thought about this, but the biggest book in the middle of the Bible is called the Psalms, which is another way of saying songs, and 40% of the songs in the Bible are lament songs, sad songs. In fact, when I'm, I told you a moment ago, Jesus from the cross, when he quotes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's one of the most famous lament songs in the Bible, Psalm 22. Jesus loves our honesty. He doesn't, he doesn't shrink back from our pain he invites us to bring our pain, whatever pain you bring to him. He promises not to just bring healing and restoration, but he promises to be with you. This is difficult for us. A lot of us, like I said, we didn't grow up in a place where we know how to talk about our pain. 
And it's difficult, and we don't know, and we don't know what somebody else is feeling. I was thinking about this because when my youngest son was three or four, he was going through a little bit of a phase. We thought it was a rebellious phase. And, he, and we would say things to us, and he would ignore us, or he would have a bad attitude, or you'd look at him, and you'd say something to him, and he'd turn and walk away, and we'd be like, what in the world? And like any good parent, we'd discipline him and correct him, and we're like, he's gonna get through this, and we're gonna grow out of this. And not too much later, he goes to a wellness check. And the doctor asked my wife, she says, or the doctor says, has Luke complained at all about any pain in his ears? My wife was like, no, he hasn't said anything about pain in his ears. He's like, why do you ask? Well, he has a very significant double ear infection. And I imagine he can't hear anything that you're saying to him. And we're like, whoops. Um, <laughs> we thought it was just a bad attitude, but it was he couldn't verbalize what he was feeling in a way and make that connection. And a lot of times, I don't think Luke's the only one. There's people who are in pain around us. And their interactions with us communicate something that we think they're saying to us, and it really doesn't have anything to do with us. It's them not being able to figure out how to walk or work or talk or process through their pain. It's not always perfect. It's not always pretty. It takes courage, and you have to be vulnerable. But when you take steps to go, I'm struggling with this, and you bring it to the light, that's the beginning of your healing, and it doesn't go away immediately, but just like any other physical therapy, slow and steady, being faithful to do it, and you'll be amazed how God can change you. The second thing is he promises to give us his joy, a joy that no one can take from us. The joy there, the Greek word kara, it means a deep-seated inner gladness. What an incredible promise. His joy that he would give to you and I. Not a joy from our circumstances, not a joy from the world. Think about that. We, we gotta hold on to the joy that comes from Jesus. We gotta hold on to it, but you know what? It's really hard to hold on to joy when our hands are filled with pain. See, I believe in order to receive that joy that Jesus wants to give us that no one can take away, we have to first be willing to let go of that pain. Now, I, I said it was gonna be practical. One of the things about our world that makes this so difficult is we live in a world where there's pain all around us all the time. We've never been more aware of everyone else's pain. If you're on social media, you scroll through all the other people's pain in the world, it's overwhelming. You're saying, Jenner, you're saying we shouldn't be compassionate to help people who are hurting. No, I'm not saying that, but I am saying everybody else's pain is not your pain. And that shared trauma is a real thing. And we can start taking on pain and feel the effects of that pain. And when we do, we lose the very joy that God wants to give us that helps us process through our own pain that we're trying to deal with. Sometimes it's so much easier to ignore your pain to try and help someone else's. God says, worry about your pain and getting whole and receiving my joy so that we can then be someone who could be an instrument of joy in the life of someone else. Look what this passage says. I want to remember, you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Who's been taking away your joy? Have your circumstances been taking your joy? Has the world been taking your joy? Has the problems and outrage of social media been taking your joy? Or have you been holding on to the joy that your Jesus wants to give you? Here's the third and final thing he promises. He gives us his peace, the power to overcome. That peace may sound like a, a trite religious word, 
You know, maybe in Hazlitt you're thinking, you hear me say peace and you're like, well, of course the pastor's gonna say that. We all should have peace and we don't really know what that is. But, but Jesus is very deliberate and specific when he talks about peace. It's the word shalom. It means everything is the way God wants it to be. And Jesus says, right in the midst of your pain, I've come to give you my peace. That, that when you're trying to fix it and you don't understand it, even when things are broken, the world can be as God created it to be for you if you'll receive that peace. Look what the passage says. I want to remind us one more time. Look at this passage. I've told you these things so that in me, where does it come from? In him, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. See, the story doesn't end with these guys being sad and broken down. This peace comes into their life in such a real way that they begin to preach the gospel. Peter, who's afraid to even admit he knows Jesus, preaches the gospel. 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. The people freak out. They're like, you can't be doing this. We're going to bring you in. We're going to throw you in jail, and we're going to beat you. And somehow this Peter has been so changed that this message, no matter what they do to him, he keeps going. The message spreads throughout the world and ends up coming all the way to us. You're like, how do you explain that? It's the peace of God. When that peace meets you in your pain, there's no limit to what you can overcome. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not minimizing anyone's pain. Your pain is real. Your pain is your pain, and it's challenging. But God sees that pain, and that pain, no matter what it is, isn't bigger than he is. Your pain's not bigger than Jesus. Your pain's not bigger than his love for you. You're like, Jed, how, how do you know that? How, how can you say that? Well, I've experienced it many, many times. Thinking back to early when we were married, my wife Sarah and I, we, it was hard for us to conceive. We struggled with infertility, and eventually, after about five or six years, we, we, we got pregnant with a little baby girl, Isabel, and she was just a gift. And we're like, if this is the only child God ever gives us, we'll be grateful and we'll celebrate. Now we have four, and sometimes I try to remember what that felt like, and... But early in ministry, it was just Isabel and Sarah and I, and, and when you just have one kid, one kid's like an accessory, and so we would travel different places for ministry, and we were in North Carolina and doing this ministry event, and she was maybe two or three, and we'd been working all day, and went up to the hotel that night, and she had been a little bit sick, but now she was completely unresponsive. And I was like, are you kidding me? After everything we've been doing and all the ministry, God, what's going on? Why is she sick? What's happening? And so we didn't know where to go or what to do, but we were in the area and I was like, Duke's got a great medical facility. Let's just go find it. Let's just go drop her off at the emergency room. And I was so tired and so scared and I was so angry. I remember I missed the turn and I was in the middle of the road and I was like, God, where are you? What are you doing? We prayed for this promised child and now she's gonna die. And I've been serving you and doing ministry. What's happening? Why are you forgetting about your son? What's going on? And I, I was just, man, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe a different situation, but the pain is so deep, you, you start to doubt everything. We bring her into the emergency room and the doctors take her and they're trying to help her and I'm looking through the glass and the only time she wakes up is they're trying to draw blood and they keep poking her and they can't get the needle in and she wakes up and looks me in the eye and says, Daddy, please help me, please. I gotta tell you, I had nothing left. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where the pain is so strong, you got nothing left. 
I realized I could give up on God. I could get bitter. I could just say, Jesus, I have nothing left. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to make good on your promise. You're going to have to show yourself faithful to your word. I tell you, there was a peace and a joy that filled my soul that's not of this world. The world can't give it to you. The world can't take it away. We woke up the next morning and the doctor said, we, we don't know what's going on. It's a miracle. It's incredible. She's, she was bouncing around, smiling. She was herself. You say, Jed, well, that's so great for you and you got through that. Well, that's not my only moment of pain. But I learned something about Jesus in that moment. You know, every time I come and I stand on this platform, there's a little hole, because right in these seats right here is where my dad used to sit and watch me preach every weekend. Every service, he'd come and watch me preach. We had, a, we had a up and down relationship, but the last few years of our lives were the best we ever had. They were the best of his life. He beat heart attacks several times. He, he experienced spiritual family. He sat in my driveway one day and said, Son, I waited my whole life to be in a church where, where, where God would do what he said he would do in his word. It took my whole life, but now I'm here. Three years ago, a man who never smoked died of lung cancer. You say, why? I, I don't know why. Why did it happen that way? I don't know, but I do know this. God's bigger than death. Jesus is bigger than our why. You can still experience that joy and that pain right in the midst of your challenge because that's his promise, that's his hope. You say, what has this whole series been about? This is it. No matter what you're facing, no matter what challenge, right where you're at, not because you know stuff or, or, or you're uh, special, you always do the right thing, but because you say, God, I trust you and I trust your character and I trust your nature. This covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God will meet you in your pain and say, all of my promises are yes and amen if you'll receive me. That same Jesus who showed himself so strong and continues to show himself strong in my life will show himself strong in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for your presence. You're the prince of peace. You're the friend who sticks closer than a brother. You're the soon and coming king. So we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't even know what that means. It's not try really hard to be a spiritual person. It's just say yes right where you're at. Say, Jesus, I, I want your life. I give you my heart. And in your own words right there, you, you can trade your sin for his righteousness. He can make you whole. Maybe you've already done that. You know the joy that comes from that, but you've lost some of your joy. The pain that you've been walking through has taken your joy. Right now, in this moment, you can process that pain. You can give it to him. He'll take it. He'll make you new. You've carried that pain long enough. Let go of that pain so you can receive that hope and that promise and that joy. In Jesus' name, amen.